tuned in to episode 7 of the Comics Pals podcast. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Last week was a fight up. Oh, I fucked it up. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do, Phil. All right, that's the joke. Shit, my bad. That's it. We're off to a good start, gents. Yeah, I lost it. I, mean, I could do it over, but no, nope. I feel like we're we're, we're going with that. Can you tell we're rusty? <laughs> Whoa, boy! <laughs> so I was going to say last week was a special guest episode. This week's a fight episode. <laughs> it, it is. It really is. And I already fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> so since the last time that we had the opportunity to talk to you guys, we've got some big news. Uh, I promised iTunes, and we're on iTunes. So, yeah, Yeah. Um, check us out on there. Yes, finally. Uh, Check us out on there. Uh, We're also on SoundCloud. Please leave a comment. Yeah, or a review. It's really helpful to us. If you rate the show and leave a comment on iTunes, it's the best way to help out the show. Yeah, leave a star rating, leave a comment, let us know what you think about us. I think we have two so far. Really? Yes. Wow. That's awesome. We're like trucking along. Two five-star reviews. Very good. Fuck yeah. We're also... On SoundCloud, uh, so you can check us out on there as well. And then, of course, the usual stuff. We're on YouTube, uh, Instagram, and um, Twitter, all at the Comics Pals. And you can email us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. So check us out all over the place uh, and bring the Comics Pals with you wherever you go. Um, we've got a jam-packed show for you guys today because there's been so much news uh, and we definitely will be getting to that Spider-Man trailer, which we're all very excited about a little later. Uh, all of us, except for one guy in particular. Uh. <laughs> Damn, we're putting Marco on blast like that? <laughs> <laughs> he had a comment this time. Speaking of Marco, Marco is not joining us today. Marco uh, made other things a priority over this show for the day. Oh, that's the best. Oh, but shit. we're not holding it against him. shade. What's the best Dang. euphemism to describe his his different priorities? Um, He's getting swamp-themed. <laughs> I like it. I like it, Kale. Because we have such a jam-packed show, we're just going to jump right into it, and we're going to talk about the comic books that we've been reading uh, this week. Phil, why don't you start us off? I had a real deer-in-a-headlights moment there. I was like, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been. Uh, it's been a long time since I read JLI, so I've been rereading that the old, uh, you know, Keith Giffen and DeMattis run from like I think eighty eight, eighty seven. That's, uh, that's Justice League International. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because in Animal Animal Man, which I was reading last, uh, Buddy joins Justice League Europe, and I was like, oh yeah, I should go back and read JLI, which is the good stuff. Yeah, and the Giffen and DeMattis run is yeah, it's great. That's a good, good. I mean, it's a little bit dated because it's like very referential of 80s culture, but I think that is a good thing in this context. It feels like a time capsule. You know? It's like watching 80s wrestling. You know what you're in for. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I got to check that out. It's a good book, actually. Um, it's really funny, um, like especially Blue Beetle and Booster Gold and their interaction with Batman, who can't stand either of them. It's very good. <laughs> Marshall Manhunter is great. He's a total straight man foil, but very endearingly so. It's a great book. I always worried if I were a DC character, and it's my biggest fear, and I think it may be true. Your if I biggest were a, fear is about being a DC character? <laughs> if I were a DC character, I think I'd be Booster Gold. <laughs> huh. 
That's a topic for another show. What character are you in comics? It's my greatest fear. I, like and I think I we'll think it might be one. true. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Kale, since you were uh, the last one to speak, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you've been reading? Sure. Uh, since I uh, was uh, gone for the for the holiday, I read uh, Spider Man, uh, the Miles Morales Marvel six sixteen canon book, and it was good. You know, it's Bendis's Miles Morales. You know, obviously that's a character he he knows and loves, and it's good. Uh, but it it ended in that very typical uh, Marvel trade way. You know that that mm. just sort of fades off and makes you pick up the next one yeah that cliffhanger kind of deal yeah and uh only barely that it's just like oh spider-man standing on a building and the adventure's over now so pick up civil war 2 <laughs> you know, i've been reading i've been reading a lot of these 80s books right and it's just it's really remarkable how every issue feels like a complete story because today in comics collectively uh it's not like that i think we may have talked about this before but every issue is so compact and like it feels like a, an episode. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's interesting because, like, I honestly think that's just kind of a, a trend overall, like, in our culture that we kind of crave that. Like, the whole – the easiest analog is, like, the Netflix binge-watching thing is, like, you've you, we've even seen, like, less of um, – or a downward trend in, like, episodic television. You know? I think, like, people are a little less interested in stuff being that self-contained kind of status quo resetter than they are watching something, like – develop over time yeah yeah and for me it's just refreshing because like the the, the the modern netflix style or whatever is very um it's exhausting at sometimes <laughs> no I, I totally agree with you man it's like why i find myself like re-watching sitcoms instead of like watching new shows because it is it's a lot to like stick with a story and keep engaged yeah, with it whereas like just reading an episodic kind of adventure of characters that you already know and like obviously that's a little more digestible Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I remember uh, one time uh, I was watching Batman the Animated Series with my grandma, and uh, and it, it popped up with a to be continued, and I went, "Oh man!" And she went, "I know, I hate that. That sucks." And, and <laughs> you know, this was early '90s, right? So like, you know that that really speaks to like the time period. Like my grandma and I, uh, I think I said this on our, our bonus episode that probably will never see air, but. We, uh, yeah, it'll show it'll see her. we uh we we used to watch cbs sitcoms all the time and you don't ever see it to be continued on those yeah like maybe maybe once a season like if it's like a big deal like somebody's pregnant or something you know yeah. like maybe <laughs> maybe a season and cliffhanger kind of thing right right, like, right wait you have to wait six months for the first episode that was how yeah. it used to be kind yeah. of fun kale did your grandma really say that sucks <laughs> yeah sean sean real quick my mental image was kale as a 70 year old woman saying that <laughs> sucks <laughs> that's that's where i got most of my personality <laughs> What's that word? she also i'll give you i'll give you this this quick little anecdote she uh she lost her leg to uh diabetes well shit or something anyway or something. End, end, like, end of anecdote it's fine uh, she, uh, she, uh, so after that, she started kind of, you know, that was kind of her, her downward, you know, slope in like her life or whatever. She named her stump, like, like her leg, like what was left of her leg, uh, SpongeBob. Oh my God. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so there you go. Oh, Wow. There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. So, 
I don't know how to I don't know how to address that. So uh so I so I also read Martian Manhunter this week. <laughs> okay. Great. Great. <laughs> oh Pete's dead, everyone. Oh. oh man. And how was uh how was Martian Manhunter? Uh it was really good. Yeah, it's the uh it's the uh it was the DCU uh pre reboot re uh, reboot pre rebirth reboot birth thing. Uh, it was his, it was his solo line where he sort of, uh, he has like a mental breakdown and splits into like six different people or something by Rob Williams and Eddie Barrows. Um, anyway, really, really good. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest Martian Manhunter fan, but, uh, uh, I've always been interested in the character. He's very good in JLI. Yeah. And, and the, the, the old Justice League cartoons, I, I always thought he had a, a lot of character that was underrepresented he's good in the jla comic too with the morrison one from the late 90s he's got some good stuff i always thought he was cool he had a certain mystique about him i just think he he yeah he sometimes is uh, underrepresented and we, you don't always get to see the, the the cooler parts of his character it's almost it's like a, just about christmas now and uh i was thinking of the justice league christmas episode with the martian manhunter remember that at all Yep, it's very yep. good. That that whole, I mean, that whole universe is really good, but that show was was pretty on point. Uh, yeah. So that's what I did this week. Cool, Pete. Over the last two weeks, uh, I reread um, the entirety of Paper Girls, which um, is <laughs> a really interesting book. Uh, I had only read the first volume, but I got up to ten now. I think is where they're at, and uh, it's it's weird, man. I. I I can't believe I'm still so into it, even though I really don't feel like I have any hand on what's really happening yet. And uh, I think I was talking about it with Marco once. I don't remember if it was on our secret episode or or beforehand, but uh, I think he said that it's like Brian Michael Bendis's um, or not Brian Michael Bendis, excuse me, Brian K. Vaughn's experiment to see like how long he can string readers along without really giving them anything. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and it's like it's it's super true, but like I am enjoying the book quite a bit. Yeah, when that book came out, like it it was one of the biggest like hype trains yeah. that Image had put out, and I. Uh, when I finally got the trade, I was very let down. Like I just like expected so much more from it and I did not get it. Yeah. It's, um, it's weird, man. Like I, I can't really put my finger on why I like it as much as I do. Uh, I mean like the art is really good. So that helps. Uh, yeah, if there's like a book that you're kind of iffy on, but, um, I think it's just that like, I'm really interested to see what's happening. You know, like there's the, I have enough threads that I can kind of piece together what's going on, and the the mystery is keeping me engaged. And that's not something that usually happens to me, so it's kind of refreshing. And normally I'm more sold on, like, character and, and what's really going on versus, um, you know, the, the promise of, like, a reveal or something like that. So that's been interesting. Um, and then beyond that, uh, I caught up on Saga up to 40, which just came out, I think, two weeks ago now. Um, and that book, I'm really, really into where it is right now. Uh, you know, I think it had a, a pretty significant lull, um, before they did spoilers, mild spoilers for Saga before there was like a time skip. But, um, the stuff that's been going on in the book for the last like five or six issues has been really, really exciting. And, uh, I'm, you know, it's just, I'm really excited to see where, where it's going next. I'm not looking forward to it taking its, uh, their regular hiatus in the next, I think that starts after this next issue. So that's going to be a tough, tough wait for me, but it's okay. I got plenty of other things to catch up on. Uh, as for me, I read I read a lot of books <clears throat> recently, but 
There's one that I, I wanted to highlight, um, which was Motor Crush, which came out this past Wednesday. <clears throat> uh, we, we talked about it a few weeks ago, and that's why I really wanted to bring it up, by uh, Brandon Fletcher, Cameron Stewart, and Babs Tarr, the same creative team from the Batgirl and of Burnside or whatever. Um, it's really good. I mean, there was controversy surrounding the book because retailers didn't really order it, um, but I was able to find it. And quite frankly, who knows the validity of that um, anyway? I mean, it came from Bleeding Cool. I'm not attacking them, but they do not have the best reputation in the world. Um, so who knows how far that story really goes. But in any event, this book is good. Um, it's, it's really unique. It's kind of like the video game Twisted Metal in the sense that, you know, these characters are, they're, they're racers, right? And the, the main character, she's a racer. And they're racing to the finish line. But as soon as the race starts, they beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> they have these, you know, <laughs> they all have different weapons and they're just beating each other to death as they race. Uh, so it's like, do their, do their cars have weapons and stuff? Or? Yeah. They, well, they, they're holding weapons. Their cars have weapons. There's just, there's all kinds of madness going on. It's a very, yeah, it's a very brutal book. Um, really, really interesting. And I, it definitely has something to say about sports and race culture in general. So that's cool. Um, and the, the main character is unique. So I, I definitely recommend picking this book up, especially if you were a fan of Batgirl. I think you'll really get some of that same flavor from this book, but just more indie, you know? Um, so yeah, it's wor- worth, worth a pickup. Can you say the name again for the listeners? Motor Crush. It's a really, really interesting book. I'll check it out. I mean, the art on it is, you know, like, I, the premise is interesting, but the art looks really cool. That's really all I've seen of it. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's Babs Tar. She's, she's super talented. Yeah, right. Put her name on anything, it's worth checking out. <laughs> Does anyone else have anything they want to bring up before we move on? No. No, I'm good. Hmm, hmm. I guess that means... It's time for the random question of the week! (laughs) (laughs) Alright folks, I've got a question this week for you. All of us, I think, have read comics for uh, well over a decade at this point, right? Oh my god, don't remind me how old I am. I've been reading comics for like 20 years. (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe two. I think Mark was the only one that's like very fresh yeah. in your comics. In your formative years of reading comics, or even recently, uh, what moments in books have made you go, oh my god, or shocked you? Oh boy. Like, what, what genuinely shocked you? So, um, if you have any, if this might be a little spoilery for some of you if you just haven't read comic books, I guess. Well, if you haven't read the series we're talking about, too, you never know. Yeah. So just a little bit of a disclaimer there. I guess I guess an example would be if you're reading Death of Superman and somehow you got surprised that Superman died. Like, wait, I know it says it on the cover of this book, but Superman's dead. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, Superman has hockey hair. <laughs> I'm not wearing hockey pads. <laughs> so, Kale, any any memorable uh, shocks? Trying to, I know I know I've had them because I I do try to like. I, I look for that feeling whenever I read something new. There are two things that come to mind immediately. Well, okay, three things that come to mind immediately. There was the the sheer anger uh, at the moment that uh, Spider-Man reveals his identity uh, oh, in Civil War. Nice choice. Yeah. That was pure fury on my part. 
I uh, threw the comic on the ground in the store and walked out and swore I'd never read a Spider-Man comic again. Wow. The other one would be, uh, I think just before that, would be uh, Spider-Man Other storyline where he uh, where he dies after his fight with uh, Morlin. I don't think I've ever read that. Really? It's, I mean, it's okay. Yeah, it's uh, interesting in a, in a very Death of Superman way. Yeah, that one, that one I found... Uh, particularly uh brutal i really felt that one the other one i think is um in the first volume of jeff john's teen titan series uh where uh tim with tim drake and superboy yeah. and uh impulse deathstroke uh comes out of nowhere and uh he he's heard that the teen titans are reforming and uh no i said that wrong the teen titans are reforming uh and um <laughs> He uh he uh Our language sucks. <laughs> and he uh he shoots uh impulse in the knee. Um and that was uh yeah, that was that was kind of a, a big deal at the time. Uh because my introduction to comics was basically through uh Young Justice, the comic. So Tim Drake and, and Superboy and Impulse were my and still are to uh, a lot of degrees, uh they're they're my uh people, you know. Yeah, no, I don't think that's a unique thing necessarily because I think a lot of people like have that kind of relation with those Young Justice characters from uh, the Peter David run. What about you, Pete? Um, I have a couple that came to mind. Uh, one of the first ones that came to mind for me was I I don't remember what issue it is, but uh, in Ultimate Spider-Man, the the death and then rebirth of Gwen Stacy. Oh. Um, by the Carnage symbiote, uh, was something that was really surprising to me because. Um, you know, the way it happens is really kind of like, it's at the end of an issue and it doesn't really happen like in direct relation to the story. Very anticlimactic for me, especially the, the rebirth. Yeah. I I think they both are that way. I think like the, the rebirth is a little more unceremonious for me because I think the death had impact because it was the first time like in a book where we know death is permanent or supposed to be permanent for everyone that's not Gwen Stacy. Um, irony, tough score. <laughs> um, it, it had real impact for me because it was one of those deaths where like I saw it coming when like the, the, the moment starts happening and it, I was just like, no, 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 like don't. And it, you know, it, I just remember it being a real like punch in the gut. Cause it was the first time I had read a comic where a main character I cared about died and I knew there was no chance they were coming back or so I thought. <laughs> at the time uh, which was why her rebirth was actually so shocking to me as well was because I never thought that was possible um, and then similar to that is uh, the um, near the conclusion of Why the Last Man um, which I hope I'm not spoiling for any of you I haven't read yet if you haven't then just real quick because this is like really serious spoiler Ooh. yeah kills like yeah you guys have read off. it I, yeah, I'm yeah. taking I my guess, headset I, off. Oh, well, um, yeah, so you're going to skip ahead, if you, listener. If yeah, yeah, listener, is... if you haven't read Why the Last Man, do not spoil Why the Last Man for yourself. Skip ahead, like, ten seconds, whatever. In the end of Why the Last Man, where um, where Agent, uh, what is it? I can't remember her number, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, when, when she dies, uh, that was, like, yeah, a yeah, very, yeah. like, I remember gut to the my floor kind of moment and just being, like, Wow. Yeah, I you didn't, I kind of felt that was coming the whole time, you know? Really? Yeah. I, I read it when I was, like, 16, so maybe that was part yeah. of it. I had this dread of this, like, oh, I, I know this is coming. Oh. And, like, I just remember being so caught off guard by it and just, like, 
very, very emotionally impacted by it. Because again, it, it was it was the first time in a comic where I knew death really meant something because yeah. these were real people, you know, and there was no 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 uh, retcon or Deus Ex Machina coming to save her, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this isn't a Marvel or DC comic, right? Yeah, and uh, I think I th- those are the moments that stick out the most to me. Cool. Spoilers are done for me. <laughs> uh, anything else, Pete? Um, the other examples I have are, are stuff from, from Robert Kirkman's work where it's just specifically, um, invincible, I think like comes to mind because they do a really good job of, cause like the walking dead, right? Like everyone knows the walking dead is a story where people are going to die. Like it's, it's a post-apocalyptic story about like life and death. So like death is, it gets people talking. Right. And it's kind of an inevitable, inevitable part of that universe, you know, is like death is a constant reality. Um, so like. Those aren't necessarily as shocking, though. There are a lot of shocking moments that are memorable. Things like Rick losing his hand or like issue 100 where Glenn dies, um, which if you don't know that spoiler, like, come on at this point. But um, Invincible for me sticks out because Invincible does a really good job of lulling you into like kind of a false sense of security. Mm -hmm. And then when something goes really wrong, when you have that like Dragon Ball Z like face against the big villain moment or something like that something really serious always ends up happening and because you're so used to things being normal and silver agey and and like light i guess and kind of like you know jovial to a degree um those moments have such a stark contrast that they feel very real yeah i think i think mine was uh because i recently read the the first uh compendium um i think mine was uh alan the alien Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I think that was uh, that was a, a a hard one for me to uh, read through. Yeah, that one hit me really hard. Yeah, it's like even like the first arc ends with like a major reveal that is just like you're so shocked by it because it's so just like like what the fuck? Like this is so this whole issue of this comic is so different than the few I've read before, just in tone and presentation. So like those moments, like they really stick out. Sean, how about you? Oh boy, uh, I've got quite a few. Um, Civil War, everybody knows <clears throat> that's my favorite story uh, from Marvel, and or at least favorite event. And that one had a few shocking moments. Uh, Kale referenced Peter Parker revealing himself as Spider-Man. I didn't have as a visceral a reaction, I guess, but I, I was just more fascinated by it than anything. Um, and then shortly after Civil War, though people typically connected with the book is the death of Captain America. Um, that was really, really shocking. Uh, pretty much the whole Grant Morrison run on Batman. I mean, every, oh, yeah. <laughs> every single issue was just something crazy. It's a roller coaster. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and, I, and I loved that book a lot. Um, this one, though, is probably the biggest shock ever for me as a comic book reader and goes to show that you can still surprise people in modern day uh marvel or dc books and it's the moment where electra died during new avengers and was revealed to be a scroll because her body shifted back when the scroll died no one knew that that was coming marvel hadn't promoted it they didn't say anything you just bought the book and you got to the end and that's what happened and it it blew it it blew everything wide open because at that moment it's like okay what does this mean anyone now could be a scroll 
So now readers are as paranoid as the characters in the books. And I've never felt more connected to the comics or to the characters that I'm reading about than, than right there at that moment. That's interesting that they chose Electra because uh, historically when she died in Miller's Daredevil, it was another like shocking moment for fans because like, you know, that time, uh, popular characters didn't die as often. And so when she died, then that like took a lot of people by surprise. And it's like very appropriate that it's her that dies in this event. And it's a scroll. Yeah. Not to mention that she's kind of notorious for dying and coming back and stuff <laughs> Jean like Grey of the street level characters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, Secret Invasion went on to be a, overall a disappointment, but that moment will always stand out to me. Kale, you disagree? Yeah. I, I, well, I had a good, I had a good time. Um, yeah, I think uh, for me, that might have been sort of the last kind of Marvel, big Marvel event that I really enjoyed. I agree. Yeah, that was the last one that I was really into. What about Siege? You guys didn't like Siege? No. It's okay. It's fine. But um, yeah, it just didn't, it, yeah, it just didn't hit me, hit me where I wanted to. There was also some stuff going on in my life that kind of pulled me away from comics at that point. But it wasn't uh, uh, obviously it didn't stick. But um, yeah, that was the the last thing that really hit hit me where I wanted it to. You know, you know, uh, Sean, if I could just real quick, you sparked some some thoughts in me um, from Civil War. Another moment that I remember being really shocking was um, the the reveal of like the Thor robots. Yeah, the oh, first yeah, time yeah. where they just m- fucking murder Hercules. Yeah, like no, that was like a really no, Hercules. It was Goliath. Oh no, it's not black. Black Goliath. Black no, Goliath. Goliath. I think it was Black Goliath. Well, his name's Goliath, but he is also black. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those. <laughs> right, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. It's one of those I, like Greek. I wanted to guys, be called Supervolt. But oh, I just remember. <laughs> oh jeez. Goodbye. I just everyone. remember that. I just remember that death being like really like quick. And, and shocking like the character's reaction to it like they were all just so horrified you know yeah and, like that was I remember kind of like the first moment in Civil War where like the whole like we're being hunted down by our friends kind of thing was like really apparent how serious it was it got real yeah absolutely yeah and then um, another thing that that uh, you made me think of was another Marvel book actually was um, any of you guys ever read Magneto Testament yeah absolutely no that comic is Fucking phenomenal! It's a story about uh, Magneto. Who wrote it? Uh, it was Pac, ooh, wasn't been... it? Greg Pak. Oh, shit. yeah, I think it was Greg Pak. Good writer. Um, it's uh, it's a it's a really good book, man. I haven't read it in a couple of years, but uh, I read it when I I was like on a cross country trip, and it was one of the the comics I read while I was while I was doing that. And um, it's a story about Magneto, like during his time in concentration camps, and like during like the like throughout his experience in world war two and um that comic like cover to cover was shocking just because you know like i went into it into it with certain expectations and none of them were met at all you know and uh in ways that were both like delighting and horrifying so that's that's a great comic if you haven't checked it out magneto testing yeah 100 percent uh Real quick, just a couple other ones. Um, Messiah Complex, when Bishop shoots Professor X, that that really shocked me. And then Avengers vs. X-Men, when Cyclops, or excuse me, Cyclops being manipulated by the Phoenix murders Professor excuses, X. Excuses, excuses. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, that's all I got. Comics. Some good picks. Yeah, comics picks uh, can still produce shocking moments as long as they don't spoil it by revealing it to Variety or some other news publication before you actually can read the comic. <coughs> Fuck you, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I think we can move on to the news. Um, well, wait, wait, wait. I got oh, a thing. Oh, my goodness. I got a thing. Yeah. I got a thing. You asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, Phil. No, no, no. You've had your time. You're, this is, you're done. Okay, so one of the first Marvel books I read growing up was Secret Wars, the original one from 85, 86, 84. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was so, like, gripping for me. But there's a part where Doctor Doom, who's in- imbued with the Beyonder's powers, um, he kills Captain America, seemingly. And I'm just like, oh, f- oh, shit. Oh, man. And he just comes back and he just, like, keeps confronting Doom over and over and then, like, he keeps getting, like, removed from reality, but keeps coming back. But, like, that whole thing was just like, oh, I didn't think this is a thing that could thing. That That's very reminiscent of Doctor Strange, by the way. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, never made that connection. I've come to bother, dude. <laughs> um, uh, one of the first books I also read, but from DC, was Secret Identity by Meltzer. Identity Crisis. Yes. Whoops. Identity Crisis by Brad Meltzer. <laughs> Secret Identity is a Superman book. Kurt Busiek. Johns. Oh, wait. Secret Identity was Busiek. Johns did Secret Origins. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, all these secrets. So, yeah, Identity Crisis. Um, and uh, where Dr. Light sexually assaults Sue Dibney. I was like, oh, my God. And then, like, that escalates to the JLA having to, like, this is like the Watchtower era JLA that was like epitomized in the 70s, um, having to vote on whether or not they want to erase the memory and inclination from Dr. Light's head. And it was like, oh, like, like this was all just like real heavy, heavy stuff. And it was just like shocking to me. All of it was shocking. And the way it was, the, the sexual assault was drawn it's still very divisive today a lot of people are like i don't like this it's i can't i know and like i get it i totally get it for me it was like good i liked that it had this really visceral reaction in me but i could see why other people don't like that yeah no that uh that book is like it's my favorite book and i think i had that same reaction but on a completely different level because reading that book it, it hit me that like like you can you can do this in comics like this put for me this put comics on a whole different level as like a a a creator like like reading that book was the moment i knew i i wanted to make comics huh yeah and i I remember you saying that the the last thought i had oh real quick i'm surprised you didn't mention like one more day or something so the issue i had with one more day is like i read that like kind of knowing what oh, it was about, okay. You know, because like I read Civil War like after it had happened. This, so, like, this is something that happens so often when you read comics is that you just know what's going in, right? And I was actually going to bring up another book. Um, like I got Civil War, uh, Fallen Sun, which have any of you guys ever read? Yes. Mm. That's uh, that's the reaction to Captain America's yeah. death from and the it's, various. It's, it's like mostly about like Wolverine. But it's also about, like, a, cu- a couple other characters that had a close relationship Hawkeye with him. and Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I got that, that, and One More Day and Brand New Day all at the same time. 
So like I read like that whole kind of succession all at once, and I had already known that uh, in the modern Amazing Spider-Man comics that he and Mary Jane weren't together. So I think I knew that that book was why. I didn't know that like the deal with Mephisto was what triggered it. But like, so by the time I got there, I was just kind of like, "Wow, that's the stupidest thing I've ever read." <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was shocked by how bad it was. The the last one I'll bring up, and I hadn't read the book yet. I was a little behind, but this is this was like a reaction from the internet is i remember in like 2006 i was on a lot of forums about comic books and like the way people characterize thanos it's like oh this is the big bad guy in marvel but then in annihilation number six or five uh drax destroyer puts his hand through the chest of thanos with his heart and I remember seeing that panel, and it was spoiled for me, but still, it was like, holy shit, this is the big bad guy. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. Yo, Drax is a bad motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. sure. Also, yeah. That's a good like, segue uh, for the next topic. I think that's a good transition to talk about the Guardians trailer, if you want. Sure. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't watch the most recent one. Watch it. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it flew under my radar for some reason. Well, you guys, you guys can talk about it, and I will watch it. I was just gonna say, yeah, like I, I know when we talked about the uh, the teaser initially, I, I was very hesitant uh, about it. I, I sort of, you know, I, I, I had the feeling that you know they use the same song. They're gonna, they're basically gonna rely on the same tricks. Retread. Um, yeah, yeah. trying to recapture the magic and like. While I'm still hesitant about that, I'm still afraid they're going to do that. Um, this trailer, like, it didn't alleviate the fears, but it, 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 it made, I mean, it, it cemented the fact that I was going to go see it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it looks good. It looks funny. Like, I'm going to go see it. Yeah, I, I agree with Kale. I mean, I, I wasn't, uh, so down on it. Like, I know, I, I knew I was going to go see it no matter what, just because I really liked the first one. And, you know, like, let's be real, I pretty much go and see every Marvel movie, you know? Um, I want to, like, see them for myself. But, um, I mean, like, my my concern with Guardians 2 is very much yours as well, Kale, where is that, like, I'm, I'm not even afraid that they're going to try to retread old ground. I'm just afraid that, like, that it's going to be trying so hard to recapture the magic of the first movie that it gets in its own way. Suicide Squad style. Right, exactly. Yeah. And like, I think what was so good about Guardians was that it was effortless, you know? Um, or it felt effortless anyway. Well, I, I was very excited for the Guardians of the Galaxy movie when it was coming out because I had such a positive interaction with the, the book, um, by, um, by, um, DNA. Um, I was really excited for it. And, uh, I had reservations though, because the books, the Guardians books were starting to change tonally. Uh, when the movie was coming out, I was like, oh, man, I don't know. Because at that point, Bendis had taken him yeah, over. Yeah, that's right. And I remember the opening scene in the movie when it's Come and Get Your Love by Redbone with with, with Peter Quill, uh, like, just kind of jamming in the cave. I was like, you know what? This is going to be all right. <laughs> and then it turned out to be very enjoyable. So hopefully they can recapture the magic. The trailer was really fun. Like, the interaction with Batista particularly. I'm not even calling him Drax. I just call him Batista. <laughs> I think, um, honestly, like, I, I think the reason I have such a positive opinion about it is very similar to why I went into the first one with positivity is, like, the worst Marvel movie isn't bad. It's just mediocre. And I, I think, like, looking at 
at what they achieved with Guardians. Like, I was excited about Guardians because of the cast and because of James Gunn. You know, like, sure. James Gunn is a really yeah. talented writer and director. I respect him a lot. I think he's really wickedly funny. What's your favorite uh, movie of his? Super. Oh, cool. Okay. Which is dark as yeah, fuck. Yeah, oh, that's a dark movie. I think that if he's back and he feels like he has another Guardians movie for us, that it's probably good. I don't think he would come back and retread the same ground, and it doesn't seem like he's being forced to be there in the same way that Joss Whedon was, you know. So I think like if he if he wasn't up for another Guardians flick, we'd um, know. yeah, we would know. And I think him not being involved, I would be a lot more concerned. Yeah, and and the fact that he seems so pumped about it too. Like, yeah, like he seems like he's like ready to go on this thing. Well, so yeah. I read something online that he uh, there was some kind of impetus for a trade with Fox. Because he wanted uh, Ego, the living planet for this movie, who was apparently owned by Fox. Do you know anything about that? Might be a Fantastic Four thing. Yeah, Ego is technically a Fantastic Four villain. um, And they traded the use of, uh, what's her name? Teenage Bottle Rocket, whatever. Oh, yeah. For for Deadpool. They they were the Sonic Teenage Warhead. Thank you. Um, Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket. That's like a band. Um, That's crazy that Fox didn't have the rights to that because she was a new X-Men by Morrison. It's it's because they changed her character. They, they, oh, yeah. oh, that's right. Okay. And that was the thing was that like they needed the uh, – like legally they didn't have the ability to change the character. So they were like, you can change her as much as you want if we can use the living planet. It's a real simple trade. <laughs> yeah, right? Why not? I just finished watching the trailer. Okay, cool. And- Give us your thoughts. It was absolutely phenomenal. It's it's yeah, it's, oh my it's God. real fun. And and you know, I, I was listening to you guys talk while I was watching it and uh you were saying that you were worried that they're trying to kind of forcefully recreate the magic from the first movie. And based on just that short trailer alone, I can tell you that they hit on it. Uh because it's hilarious. I mean, the ending sequence with Drax and oh my god. Oh, Batiste is good, Sean. That, He's so yeah. big. <laughs> I love, I love, I love the way it ends because, like, I, I just love that about Drax. Like, I love that. Like, he has no sense of like, you know, like I forget exactly how they describe it, but the fact that like he's so dry and forthcoming. And I just love how it ends with him. He's just like, do me. Like, do me next. <laughs> He's like, you must be so embarrassed. She just told me the deepest, darkest secrets. And he's like yelling. He loves like, he's, it. He's like, you must be so embarrassed. Like, it's so great, man. They found new ways to present us these characters and what makes them so fun in the first movie. They're showing us more of that, but... In, in yeah. different ways. It's, it's very much an expansion and not a retread. Just based on the I think it's going to... I think it's going to be, like, a successful version of what Avengers 2 should have been. Where it's that, like, the first movie's about the formation of a team. This one's going to be about the relationship of a team. Yeah. You know? And, like, their dynamics with one another. And, like, how is the humor between Drax and Peter versus, versus the humor between Peter and Rocket? And, like, we saw the, those examples. You know? It's like... He gets to be a straight man when he's talking to Jax and in like a weird way or just like, you know, that like, oh, I'm reacting to this weird alien kind of personality versus like, you know, him and Rocket like yell at each other and have like a way more like electric kind of um, chemistry. You know, the one thing I think is weird is like we haven't seen anything of Gamora in these like at all. Like they've talked about her and she's been referenced and everything like where she's there. But it's like it, we haven't like heard her talk at all no lines nothing 
in any of these trailers. That's got to be deliberate, but I wonder why, like you say. I feel like, yeah, I, I kind of feel like that's her character. It seems like something's up with her for sure. It, yeah, her, her character has more of a, I think she plays against uh, Chris Pratt and, and the others as more of a stoic, uh, you know, straight straight man to 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 them so i i kind of feel like that's like i there wasn't a ton for her in the trailer like it sucks that in the trailer you know i'm certainly not saying this about the movie but in the trailer it seems you know the only glimpse of her we really get is as like a, a sexual object but that's something i liked in the first movie was how like they were playing on this romance thing and then she's like uh, I'm on to your sexual wizardry, Peter Quill. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. That whole scene between them is so great with like the, the headphones yeah. and everything. It's, it's fantastic. It, 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 it teases this very generic romantic subplot and then it's subversed immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, that was the thing I'm a little disappointed. Like, I'm kind of disappointed. It seems like we're going to have a will they, won't they with them, which is something like I could do without, but it's also not a thing we've seen in any Marvel movie, really. It's usually always like the hero gets the girl and that's it. And it's like either he has the girl and he's with her or he needs to get her back because he's a dick, you know, and like he fucked up. So it's, I, I kind of like this idea of like, they work together, they're friends and like there's chemistry between them, but they're not quite there. Like that might be interesting. Um, and then I think also what's going to help this movie be fresh is that like Yondu is part of the main cast. So like there is a new guardian to like, yeah, I love Michael Rooker too. He's funny as hell. Well, they got Mantis. Yeah. She's new. Oh, right. I forgot that Mantis is in the trailer. That's awesome. Yeah. So Ooh, that's even true. We got two new members of the team. And, like, and Root's a baby now. Root's a baby. Yeah. Like that brings a different dynamic. <laughs> Dude, that thing See, with the okay. bomb. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> I am Groot. <laughs> And this, this is part of my, my worry is, is they're gonna, you know, feed into this baby Groot kitschy pop culture thing. And I'm not interested in that at all. I was worried about that too, Kale. I was worried about that they too. They did that with Groot in the first movie though. And it worked. You know? I think Kale's like, worried it's gonna was, be over the it, top. But it was different because, because Groot was, one, he wasn't a baby, but two, like it was new. Um, and like that was the foundation of that. And, you know, granted the pop culture thing for baby Groot is deserved. It's a great character. Groot's, uh, Groot is, uh, you know, he's, he's dope. The, the story he came from is dope. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to watch a movie about baby Groot. I, I don't think, I think it's bad in general when a movie is very metally consciously aware of pop culture reaction. Like, it should be just self-contained in its own universe, not be like, oh, this is popular in real world, so we're going to really hammer that. So, I, I definitely hear those concerns. Again, I just, I think I'm it'll be confident. Fine. Yeah, I think it'll be I, fine. I'm confident that won't be a problem because of the pedigree. I don't think James Gunn is going to yeah, yeah. fuck up his movie to, like, put in more baby Groot scenes, you know? Yeah, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be used the way he was in the first movie, where it's like, he's there all the time, he's in- enjoyable, he's a show stealer about three or four times. You know, he'll have his moments. I think we saw, I think we saw one or two of them, you know, or like the thing with the bomb or the thing where he just goes and screams and <laughs> put, like pulls that guy off the bridge or whatever. Yeah. Like, I feel like those are, those moments will probably be few and far between, but when they happen, you're going to love them. Groot was my favorite yeah. character in the first movie. <laughs> I mean, I, easily, like he has a lot of great, like hilarious moments, but then he's also got like the heart, you know, like he's the, like a. When he said mm-hmm. we are Groot, I was like, oh 
Oh shit, we are <laughs> close. We are. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, I, I think I, I think we have a lot to to be positive about. I think like our concerns are valid, but I don't I don't think they're going to be an issue. I think this movie's going to ex- exceed our expectations. Probably agreed. So another big thing that uh, came out this week uh, is that Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite is a thing. It was recently announced at, what is it called, PSX? Is that the... Yeah, it was PSX. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we've all been waiting for a new Marvel vs. Capcom game, all of us that, that enjoy those that, that line of video games. Um, and there were some surprises. Uh, Mega Man X being... In the game is huge. If you're a fan of Mega Man, we've been wanting. Why wasn't he ever in those games? Why was it always Zero? Uh, no, Mega Man is in them. It's just that Mega Man's in MVC one and two, and then they had Zero in MVC three, but not any Mega Man. Right. Well, yeah. Why was that? Do you it was know? because um, K- I think it was KG Nafune made the call on it. They they asked the creator of Mega Man or one of the people pivotal in the series who they wanted to represent the series, and they chose Zero. Oh, okay. Okay. I know. I know. KG Nafune uh, Zero is his favorite Mega Man character. So. Oh wow, Zero's pretty cool. I'm a big Proto Man guy myself. I always liked Proto Man as well. But Sean, go on. Uh, so Mega Man X being a part of the game is really really cool. Uh, Captain America was show showcased. He's got his uh, costume from the Hickman era, uh, the Secret War era of uh, Marvel. Oh. Um, Iron Man, probably the Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, the, the biggest so the new, shock. Big new one. I think. Being Captain Marvel. Yeah. Um, Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Because she's actually new. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so is X, though. Yeah, those are the two new characters we've seen. Pete, what were, what were some of your uh, observations as far as this game goes? He's the big video game guy. Uh, I do not have a lot of good things to say about it, actually. Um, I don't I don't think it looks good at all. Uh, I think, g- like, gameplay-wise, I'm really disappointed with a lot of the decisions they've made. Uh, they're making it two-on-two battles instead of the classic three-on-three that have been... Like, what is that? No explanation for why. They just seem to be doing that. Uh, the trailer that they showed, it showed a two-on-two fight. So, um, unless, like, maybe three-on-three is another, like, mode in the game, it seems as though two-on-two is going to be a focus of the game, at least, because that's uh. obviously what they're showing. Unless that's just a new feature that they wanted to show off, which in that case, it may be just bad marketing, but... It, it could be cool if you could select one-on-one, two-on-two, and three-on-three as a, as a style. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, but, you know, the, the like... To me, the whole thing of, of Marvel vs. Capcom is, like, it, it's about, like, having high chaos. You know, like, yeah. they're very chaotic, oh, like, yeah. flashy kind of game. And, um... Not having the three on three, I think, hurts that. There's also no uh, assists anymore. So, like, you know, you'd be able to like what? push the push the button, call one of your your either the second playable ca- or second or third playable character. I would abuse in. that all the time. Can't do that anymore. Um, and then they're also including what they're calling the Infinity Stones, which are like a new power up mechanic, which is based off of a mechanic that's in Street Fighter Five that no one likes. So those those three things are all like. Was not Street Fighter Five any good? I played 4. 4 was great. I love it. Street Fighter V had a really, really rough launch. Uh, it came out and it didn't have a lot of characters. It didn't have any single player options. Uh, it, was bu- it was buggy. Uh, it, it was just all, all around a mess. And they put it out and have since been supporting it. And they've gotten it to a place where it has like a respectable community. Um, but it's definitely not... People aren't like banging down their doors to love it. You know, it's like they, they're kind of... It's growing into its scene, which is good for them, but um, to borrow mechanics from that game is a not not a smart move, I think. 
And um, so those things are all concerning to me on its face. And then on like an aesthetic level, it just doesn't look very good. I, was, I, I did not like I I'm a I'm a I guess I wouldn't say I'm a huge Mega Man fan, but I'm a Mega Man fan. And I did not like the look of uh, X. I just think the models in general don't look very good. I think it, it, it looks a lot like Marvel vs. Capcom 3, which is like a six year old game or not six years old, um, three or four years old. Whatever. Uh, it's an older game. It's from last generation. I don't feel like we, we've seen a, a significant increase in the quality of the models at all. I don't think they, they look like they don't move in a very natural way. And I don't feel like they look like they're actually on the backgrounds that are there. Like they look like the models are just put over them, not as though it's like a cohesive thing. Um, and maybe this is an early build. Those are all things that could change. But the fact that they showed off this trailer at PSX and then had an event where they showed off a gameplay trailer, it's like, it doesn't look, it doesn't look good. Do you have a, a wish list of any characters you'd want in the game? Even though seemingly the Fox, uh, right characters like X-Men and Fantastic Four will probably not be in it. Right. That's the rumor that, you know, we won't see the X-Men or the Fantastic Four. And I think it is telling that, like, the symbol for the franchise has generally been Ryu and Wolverine facing off against each other. And we don't see Wolverine at all. So that's a little bit, um, I think, telling about at least the fact that if there are X-Men, they're not going to be at the front at all. Uh, so that's something. Um, as far as a wish list goes, Maybe I... one or two characters. I mean, like... Rocket I, Raccoon, Rocket Raccoon, and Rocket Raccoon. I mean, I, he was in the last one. I, I, I used him a bunch in three. He'll, he'll probably make a return. Um, Perfect. Off the top of my head, I, I honestly would love to see them bring, like, a DLC pack that, like, brings back some of the Marvel characters that have been omitted since MVC2, like Venom or Juggernaut, like, characters that are just, like, not as relevant anymore in a cultural way. Um, but I used to love Juggernaut. Like, Juggernaut's OP as fuck. So like, I used to love using him in, like, his taunt. He just comes in and lands a punch. And if you can land it, it takes, like, a, like a quarter of their health away. It's fucking awesome. It's really hard to time, but it's fucking stupid. It's like Paul and Tekken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, where there's, like, that one thing. And it's, like, if you can pull it off, it's broken as hell. But it's hard, so it's not that bad. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I'd love to see them, like... Maybe since we can't have the X-Men, maybe focus on some of the characters we're seeing for like the Defenders, some more of the street level NYC guys like Luke Cage. Uh, I would use Dare I would use Daredevil like crazy. Daredevil would be cool. Jessica Jones. Iron Fist would be a good one. Yeah. Iron Fist, oh, yeah. Dude, he could have one of those punches. Yeah, so I think like any of them would be cool. Um and I mean it seems like we're gonna get a, a focus on the MCU anyway, so I think we'll probably get a lot of that stuff. Sean, is there any character that you'd want to see? Uh, Jean Grey. Um, <laughs> naturally, naturally. Oh, boy. <laughs> she's already she, in it. Yeah, she's already in it, but, you, you know, Jean Grey. She probably won't be. Probably won't be now. Right. Um, so let's find a way to put her back in the game. Uh, gosh. Um, I really, this won't happen, but I would love to see the Sentry. I'm a huge Sentry guy. I like him. Huh. I, I, I heard a rumor that the Superman analog character in the game is going to be Blue Marvel. I don't remember about that. I mean, I, I think we're going to see a lot of that. I think we're going to see a lot of like what they did with Rocket for that game where they're going to be like, oh, you don't know or care about this character at all, but in a couple years you're going to. Because like I remember them putting Rocket in that game and I was like, what? Like, why are they putting Rocket Raccoon in this oh, game? That's so, so weird. But so then it was excited. like right, yeah. it was yeah, right, no, was too, right yeah. around the time they announced Guardians. Like, I remember that DLC had been announced, and then they put out the first trailer for Guardians, and I was like, oh, okay. I think it would be a shame if Black Panther didn't make it into the game. 
You gotta think he will be, right? You gotta think he will be. You would think. I mean, he's got a movie coming out. Like, I think those are all safe bets. I'd like to see Groot too. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, just because, like, I think like having more like big brawler characters like that that have interesting mechanics, like Nemesis did in, in MVC three, are that's always fun to just kind of like diversify up the roster. If it is two v two, having Rocket and Groot is very appropriate. Yeah, that would be awesome. And I'm sure, I'm sure that they would do that, and they'll have some kind of like special, you know, thing where he like jumps on his shoulder or something like that. Like there'll be something to it. And then a last uh, character would be Ant Man. I'd like to see that'd him. That'd be fun. It. That'd, be, That'd be hard, though. I think. Yeah, or it could be it could be Hank Pym, and he can switch sizes. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah, that could be fun. That could be fun. Right. There's there's a way around that for sure. I think, but it, it it would be hard to like allow him to be small because like think about how that affects like hit boxes and stuff like that. Yeah, I was thinking like a, a really cool way to play him would be to be able to grow and shrink at will. But like, yeah, that would be. I mean, that would be insane to fight. Yeah. I, w- I really want to see. I really want to see Dick Ryder back, but I just can't see that being likely at this point. I'd like to see War Machine come back too. That'd be cool. He was in. He was in two. Uh, so moving along, this I don't even want to have a discussion about. I just want to announce it and then bask in the glory of it. Jean Grey is getting her own comic book. Uh, I couldn't be any happier about oh, that. Fuck. Who cares? <laughs> How dare you, Kale? Oh my god. I'm glad this interaction just happened. She's not even in like the top ten coolest redheads in Marvel. What? Ooh, shit. Oh, see, I would see, I wouldn't Show's have said that. Show's over. Show's <laughs> over. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. That's a conversation to be tabled for another time too. No, there is no conversation to be had. It's not a debate. There is no. There's no question. Sean, quick question: Is it is it Mary teen, Jane? Mary is, Jane. Is it Teen Jean Grey or is it uh, adult? Yeah, it's teen, yeah, it's teen, teen Grey. Teen Jean. Grey. Um, I will say I I do like her um her new uniform. Yeah, I don't know if I love the new uniform. Actually, I think I don't love it, but it's Jean, so I'm there. She's too young for you at this point, Sean. That's Ooh, all right. It, it's point. not about that. It's not about that, Phil. We talked about this on the last episode, which you weren't here for, where I said it's a love that's deeper than romance. It's a love that transcends every concept we have regarding relationships it's not like that okay jeez man who, who came at you last time was it was it one of the long oh, i was kale of course it was kale. Oh, no, no, kale. No, no, no. <laughs> no 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 i was the random question of the week on uh and go check out that episode if you haven't already with the long box um the random yes. question of the week was comic book waifus oh so. boy whose question was it <laughs> oh that's right Mine. yeah I, I listened to that i don't know why all right now that you've soured my big reveal kale and pete <laughs> Thanks, guys. We'll move right along. Pete's uh, sticking his tongue out like a scamp. <laughs> in 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 more comic book news uh, from Marvel, uh, R.L. Stein has been revealed as writing a Man Thing comic, which is pretty interesting. Hi, guys. I'm Marco. I'm really excited. I wish it was Swamp Thing. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I mean. Like, R.L. Stein is, like, a master of horror. I think that's a, a really good way, a, g- a good thing to do. Yeah, I have this really bad mental image of him as being Jack Black from that Goosebumps movie. Oh, God. <laughs> so, every time you guys mention R.L. Stein, I just picture Jack Black in his goofy-ass makeup. Sorry, I, th- I thought you said you had a bad image of... 
<laughs> Good point. It, it's it's actually pretty cool because R.L. Stein, who most of you will know from Goosebumps, obviously he's a big horror guy. Um, but he's he's had a love of comics forever. Uh, his first it's crazy that they didn't bring him over sooner. The first thing he he ever wanted to be was a comic book artist. Uh, so the fact that he's getting to work in comics now is really really cool. Uh, it's not going to be a long run. It's going to be five issues. But uh, I think that's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He had a lot of options as far as characters he could run with, but he chose Man Thing specifically, which tells me he's got a very uh, sort of personal story he wants to tell with this character. And so I- I'm excited. I want to. I want to see what he does. Me too. Yeah, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna fit that. Uh, you know that R.L. Stein brand. I think. Uh, I think it'll work really well. Also, I think it's uh, it's just cool. Like you know, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago on the show about just how there's kind of been a tendency for comics to like be bringing in new talent from outside of the industry to like try and do new things, and I think that's cool. Like it's especially like when you have somebody like as um, as accomplished as R.L. Stein, you know, like and as as notable in the the horror genre to like come over here and write a horror comic. That's going to be really cool, probably, especially if they stick them with a good artist. Do they announce who's do they announce who's drawn it yet? Uh I believe they did, but I'm not sure. Well either way, something to look forward to. The yeah, the uh Marco said the person doing the covers uh is really good. Mar- I know oh, right. Marco yeah, really likes the, the guy who's doing that. Yeah, Tyler yeah. Crook. Yes. Yeah. So that's something to check out. Uh yeah, it'll be out in March. Good pedigree on that. Yeah. We'll talk about it when it's here. <laughs> yeah. Now for some Sad news, I guess, depending on your perspective on this topic. <laughs> no, you already uh, you already talked about Jean Grey, so. Oh. When we meet up next week, man, it's just it's gonna be you and me. I'm gonna DDT you. <laughs> RKO out of nowhere. The DC Cinematic Universe is in turmoil right now. Uh, this week, just this week alone, we learned that Aquaman was pushed back. The original release was uh, July 2018, uh, but uh, Deadline reports that uh, the new release will be October 5th, 2018. So that's that's you know a sizable difference. Uh, you know, a few months. Is it? Sure. Um, it's particularly telling because like, what was the original date you said? Uh, July 2018. Right. So that to me is like. Them, they're taking it out of the summer blockbuster. Running. Okay, yeah, okay, so yeah, that, that is makes really sense. Significant. It either means that like the movie isn't coming together, or they don't have confidence that it can perform. Probably the latter. Yeah, I mean that, that would be my guess. I think the next piece of news seems motivated by that as well. Then the other thing is that Justice League Two. Obviously, we haven't even had Justice League One, but Justice League Two was pushed was pushed back. Uh, Does that movie have a director? Because I believe Zack Snyder isn't coming back. I think I was going to say, well, is it not Snyder? He's attached. Yeah, he's is attached. He? Yeah, huh. I thought the relationship was becoming very strained. Stop giving Zack Snyder movies. Yep, huh? he, he is attached. It it originally had a release date of June fourteenth, twenty nineteen, but it's been pushed back to an unknown date. Yep, I don't think that movie gets made. No. No, I don't. I, I think this entire like pushback of things is motivated by fear. I think that they're like they're already too far in the weeds on Wonder Woman, so they're doing that. And I think they're gonna do Justice League and see what happens. And I think if Justice League sucks, like all these other movies have sucked, 
uh, that maybe they'll finally pull the plug on this and start over. Yeah, because they've been having they've been having a ton of trouble with uh, the Flash, and I know like uh, Ezra Miller is really disappointed about it. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just not going well for them, you know? It's like, I mean, the movies are making their money back, but, like, they're they're getting progressively worse in terms of, like, critical reception for the most part. I mean, like, Suicide Squad was a dip back up, but... But not by much. I know they were disappointed with Batman v Superman because they wanted it to make a lot more money than it did. They, like, when you, when you budget a movie like that, you expect a much bigger return. So it wasn't a flop or anything, but they wanted a lot more. It's it's getting to the point where, like, making these movies isn't really going to be worth it. You know, like, even if they are making money, like, you know, if they're not making, like you said, if they're not making enough money, why keep investing in this thing that's not working? And it totally could work. Like, everyone, like, a Batman and Superman movie, which had never been done before, like, the fact that it didn't make the money that it could have, like, everyone was, I mean, from, from Warner Brothers' side, like, incredibly disappointed. I mean, there's a... There's a reason why they shuffled the chairs in the Titanic, so to speak. Yeah, but that's the reality of it, man. Is that like you can't make these movies by committee? You know, like they they have so many people attached to them, and like they're they're they put them on a on a fucking treadmill. You know, it's like they're just one after the other after the other, and that, like that's been not a critic- good. That's been a criticism of Marvel movies too, is that they're made by committee and not by real creative drive. I mean, there's a reason why um, uh, uh, the British director left Ant Man. What's his name? Ed- Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. That kind of criticism has been uh, also presented in Marvel films, and that's totally legitimate. But like the difference is like, like Marvel or whatever his name is. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But the difference is like Marvel's movies are good and they're successful. You know, it's like and they're not like they're not high art. They're not fantastic films, most of them. But like the we said it earlier, the worst one is fine. Like it's it's not bad, especially in that first generation of them you know the first uh wave or whatever you know captain america the first avenger and iron man and thor and then the avengers and and the incredible hulk as well uh they were all trying something kind of different you know the first avenger was, was a, a war movie thor was like your hardcore sci-fi movie um iron man was like the you know it tried to be like a a uh, a, a superhero movie. I feel very weird, but like in d- in defending these not good movies, but <laughs> but like I think I think I think the Warner Brothers films are also trying to be different too. Like tonally, they're not any resembling of anything comparable to Marvel. And I think both Suicide Squad, Man of Steel, and and Batman v Superman are all fairly unique tonally. I think the the issue is that like they're they're pushing too hard though. You know, it's like, I don't think, I think they, the movies like in general have an identity crisis where like, they don't know what they want to be. Identity crisis. I think Man of Steel is very clearly trying to continue the, like the legacy that they had established with the Dark Knight trilogy of doing like the gritty grounded superhero movie. And I think Batman v Superman is like a little bit closer on the spectrum towards a Marvel movie, like trying to play up like, you know, the, like spectacle of it and like the quips between the characters at the end and stuff and it's like there's not like jokes or stuff per se but like it feels a lot less like serious and grounded than man of steel did and i think suicide squad like the reshoots that they did are pretty apparent there where there is a contrast between the stuff that's very serious and the stuff that's just straight up silly and i think like it seems like they're trying to move more towards that middle of the road because people aren't really responding to the dark and gritty 
doom and gloom stuff. Yeah, the Justice League trailer was had had jokes and stuff. Like a lot, you know. Like there's like that quip between Batman and Flash that's like a big focus of that trailer. Yeah, and like that is totally inconsistent with the stuff that they've been establishing since Man of Steel. Sean, what do you think? I I do want to first of all uh, make sure to report the whole story, oh, which is sure. that. Uh, Whoops. <laughs> yeah, bunch of nerds. Because, yeah, everyone's like, oh, we got shit on these Warner Brothers movies. <laughs> the, the Hollywood Reporter is saying that um, this is being done to make way for the solo Batman film. So it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily just pushing back for the sake of pushing back. They, they do seem to have a plan. Now, that could be totally. You yeah, know, that could be PR true. speak. Right. But that's what they're that's what they're saying. So, you know, we'll we'll see what where that goes. But I will say, uh, where where I think the Marvel films are sort of hitting it right, and the DC films are missing, is that in the comics, even DC is a more hopeful place, I think, than than the Marvel universe. And in the on the films, it's it's the opposite. The DC film universe feels hopeless. It feels. Sort of like this sad, depressing, dark place. Whereas the gray films, and dreary as fuck. Right. Yeah. And the Marvel films, for all of the terrible things that have happened to these characters, there's still an air of like hopefulness to the films that I think people connect with. And I think you kind of have to have when you're talking about these characters who are there to essentially be heroes and save people. Yeah, I agree. The you know I've, I've I've there's been a lot of rumblings about the Man of Steel sequel and from what I've heard I mean it sounds like they've got the right idea for it you know like Jeff Johns who's like the creative producer right now for these movies ever since they've reshuffled the chairs um, when he talks about it it sounds like you know like we know what we gotta fix and this, this is what we're gonna do and if they get the right director like if they get someone like. Um, the guy who did the Mad Max movies and Babe Pig in the City, what's his name? The 70-year-old Australian guy? I can't think of his name right now, but... Miller. Oh, George, George Miller. Miller. George Miller. Who's been, like, apparently, he's been rumored to do a DC movie for a long while. Like, the, the, there's been this long negotiation process, um, and a lot of people think he's going to be the one to do the Man of Steel sequel. Like, if that all culminates well, that could be really, what that could be great. Yeah, that would and be really something else. That's cool, but the problem is that for now, it just seems like they don't, they're missing the point. Suicide Squad, I, I, I had fun watching that movie. It had no business being made, especially not right now. Well, there, one, there's, there, wait, let me just get this thought out. There's not a, there's not a justifiable reason why we had to have a movie based around villains right now when you just killed Superman in the movie right before. They didn't earn it, you know? No, like, not at all. I, I, I feel like they were trying to replicate Guardians' uh, success. And, uh, yeah, they... they and, and honestly, like, it could have worked, but they dropped the ball. I still wonder if the original movie that Ayer had intended would have been really good. You know what I mean? Like, the intent or, like, the succession of the movies probably could have been ignored if the movie turned out to be really good. You know what I mean? I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah, man, I think I think that's probably part of the problem because, again, like I think to take it back to that idea of like a movie made by committee, I think the issue like with the Marvel stuff, right, is that like it seems more so that the committee like neuters creativity because it wants things to be consistent tonally. Right. And I think like the 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 issue with Suicide Squad is that like it has a bit of the David Ayer 
uh, flavor and like the kind of like grimy, hot topic-y youth yeah, culture yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing that it's like right, uh, kind of a love letter to, but then it doesn't commit to that. Like it has that visual aesthetic, but that aesthetic doesn't really match with the DCU and it also doesn't really fit with the tone of the movie overall. So it's like, it feels like it's supposed to be dark and gritty and grimy, but it doesn't really come off that way. Felt reminiscent to me of the Josh Trank Fantastic Four situation where Fox got nervous and cold feet and like altered his project. Yeah, and it's like, and I, I think that, it, you know, what actually really reminds me of in a lot of ways is like the Super Mario Brothers movie where it's like <laughs> you, you have, you make the decision to do something different and then halfway through you decide you want to make it a little more normal and then you get this, you get a camel, oh, you get something in the incredible. middle. That incredible. That movie's incredible. That movie's incredible in like a, like let's watch this train wreck kind of way so in in like an evil dead kind of way like no because like evil dead's like actually good even though it's bad like that's like self-aware bad and i like that like but like super mario brothers is just like that's something else that's incredible it's incredible bob hoskins bob hoskins is a a vision okay bringing it back bringing it back right that when you look at when you look at DC's slate of films from Man of Steel and all the movies they've talked about making Shazam, which is just random, dude, he's not even uh, a member of the Justice League. But still, if they made a John Cena Shazam versus The Rock Black Adam, as people have posited, that's I would just, disgusting. I would pause. I, I wish I wish that The Rock would play everywhere. would play Shazam. I I would watch a Captain Marvel movie if The Rock played Captain Marvel. See, I want uh, I want John Hamm. I think oh John Hamm shit! Would kill it. That'd be great. That'd yeah. be all right. I can John Hamm on the and against the rock. Cool. Yeah, that, that's cool. But it's like, why? Where's the like? Mar- say what you will about Marvel. Wait one second. Say what you will about Marvel, right? But they clearly have had an outline that has worked for them since 2007. You don't have to love the movies necessarily, but they work. They work for what they're trying to do, and they've been fun. DC doesn't seem to know what they want to do, and that's a problem. That's a big problem. I'll, I'll say this. Captain Marvel, if you want to do a movie on tone, like get established tone, I think Captain Marvel is the character that epitomizes like the, the, the DC tone because he's so optimistic. He's whims, whimsical. Can we just refer to him as Shazam for the rest of this conversation so we yeah. don't confuse our listeners? Oh, yeah. I'm still not used to that change. <laughs> It's been like six years since they made the official transition. I'm still not used to it. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm with you, Sean. I think the issue is that like it's apparent that DC's playing catch up and it's been apparent from the beginning. But I think with some of these decisions, it's even more apparent because I think like right, like using Guardians as an example um, or like even Ant-Man, right? Like Marvel saved the characters that they had to sell us on until they had already sold us, you know? And it's like, yeah, maybe people didn't really care about Iron Man, but like you know who Iron Man is in a casual way if you know anything about about Marvel Comics and you understand him enough. Like there's an elevator pitch for him that makes sense enough to get that movie made and get people in the seats. And same thing with Captain America. The Hulk is a well-known character by like, you know, he's iconic as hell. And I think Thor is kind of the same thing where it's like, but again, even Thor came last. And why? Because Thor was the one they needed to sell us on. And he was the weak the weak link. Let's be honest. You know? I mean, Iron Man was kind of he's a, he was a C lister in two thousand seven. I, I said that though, but like he was he's easy, he's digestible. It's not like there's not a, a like it, trying to explain Shazam to a non comic reader 
is like a little, it's very comic booky. And whereas I think like being like Tony Stark is a really smart guy. He's got a robot suit and he's a member of the Avengers. Okay. I understand that. I can go watch that movie. I think in 2016 or 2017, we can make a movie about Shazam and like just based off the cultural zeitgeist. I, I, think. I think you're right. But again, I think Marvel earned that. Like they gave us a few movies that were easily understandable before they tried to give us something that was more dynamic. I think like that's that. my point is that Marvel, because Marvel kind of laid this groundwork, I think DC could make a movie like that. Oh, okay. Work. Yeah. They don't really need to. Yeah. Like even though it's a different company, a different universe, I think audiences i don't think it's too out of their comfort zone but it's confusing it, it's confusing now because yeah, sure. you just you just we just watched a movie about villains right straight up villains oh, I don't right? disagree no with hope, this. nothing at all and then you're gonna put out a movie about a kid who turns into basically a god and it's going to be this fun, jovial film. Where is the, like, where, where, where do these movies kind of meet each other tonally? They don't. I don't even think this movie's going to get made. That, yeah, it may not. I think that's part of the problem that I'm talking about, right? Is like, it doesn't feel earned. Like, the right. introduction, gotcha. like, the fact that we just, we just saw Doctor Strange, like, magic, I'm already like, okay, yeah, like, I'm waiting for this. This makes sense here. I, I've learned that this is a universe with tons of corners that I don't quite understand, and this is something new. Whereas, like, in fucking Suicide Squad, they introduce the first magical being like this, and it's just like, oh, apparently magic exists in this world that was supposed to be gritty and grounded and real. <laughs> and what? Like, the Enchantress is here, and I that makes sense the movie. <laughs> And that's the thing, is, like, it doesn't work. And, like, everything that Marvel's done, like, it feels like a natural progression, and it feels like it, it works because it's earned because they worked for it. And they set up the... They set up the blocks well. And I think the issue we're seeing with DC is like they're just still trying to build and build and build on top of what is a rotted foundation. You know, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's what I'm saying, man. It's like, when do you throw in the towel here? Because it's like even bringing on Jeff Johns, even if they get the right directors and all this stuff now, it's like the first four movies in this series still blow ass. Yeah, but if an independent movie like on its own is good, then... Like maybe in the context of the universe, it's not. It doesn't make sense, but like it could still be a good movie. You know what I mean? And it gets yeah, yeah, no. And it's like I don't think it's too late for them to turn it around. But like, I don't. I think if Wonder Woman and Justice League aren't already good, it's probably too late to save them. Maybe. And I think if both, I think if both of those movies are bad, you know, do we really get through an entire phase one where every single movie is critically panned and then people are ready to go swallow more shit for the next one? I know I'm not. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. I mean, I and I and I do want to <clears throat> I do want to get to other stuff, but real quick, I want to say they shot themselves in the foot when they made the choice to make Batman old. <laughs> how short-sighted how short-sighted do you have to be to take a character and put him <clears throat> the, your most popular character, the most popular comic book character of all time? And you're creating a, a cinematic universe that you want to last for years and years and years. And you take this guy and you make him old and you say that every cool thing that ever happened in his life was in the already past. happened. Yeah, already <laughs> fucking happened. I never thought about that. Yeah. That's like the Joker's already the Joker's already dead. Like. Uh, so moving along, now we're gonna talk about the Spider Man trailer. Hi, yeah, Pete, the most <laughs> Spider-Man boy I know. Go Very, for it, Pete. Yeah. Take it yeah. away. Yeah. Um, 
so I'm really into it. I, I like what we've seen. I was sold on this movie when we met Tom Holland in Civil War. You know, I, yeah. I think he's yeah. a really, really great choice for Peter Parker. I think his Spider-Man is really good. I think they're nailing, they're hitting a lot of notes for me. Um, it definitely seems very influenced by uh, Bendis's original Ultimate Run, which is something that I, you know, that's my favorite Spider-Man book. So I'm really happy about that. Um, they're borrowing some things from kind of all over the mythos, which is something that I think is good. That's what the MCU like really succeeds at, I think, is taking the most memorable and iconic bits of a character from no matter where they originate and kind of, uh, putting them together in a way that feels reminiscent of the classic 616, but also feels modern in the way that Ultimates did. Um, so that's great. I think it's nailing that. I really like that, like, we're getting to see some deep cut characters like Liz Allen as a love interest, as opposed to like your Mary Jane or your Gwen Stacy. I, I, I think that's a, a smart choice because it lets those characters kind of be saved for the future. Is Liz Allen a character from the comics? Yeah. Uh, Liz Allen is um, like a popular girl at Peter's school who develops an interest in him. And what storyline does she prevail in? Old, old, like back Steve Ditko, Stan wow, Lee days, okay. like really old character. Uh, if you ever watched Spectacular Spider-Man, she was in that as well. She was like the hot Spanish cheerleader okay, that he goes, goes out yeah. with for a little she, while. Yeah, it, typical Spider-Man lore kind of has her as like uh, the popular girl that sort of... I never knew her as a love interest necessarily, but she uh, she's just kind of on like the periphery of like... She was like Flash Thompson's girlfriend. Okay, okay. But like there, there are a few different storylines where it's like, you know she takes an interest in Peter or something like that, or he has a thing for her. And, you know, it's like, she's like a, a pre Gwen Stacy, Mary Jane character for him when he was in high school. Um, so I think like, that's a really cool deep cut. Uh, and then what's the kid, the kid's name? Who's miles friend, uh, Genki. Uh, Genki. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not calling him Genki, but it's very clearly Genki. Yeah. Supposedly the character is a uh, Ned Leeds. Yeah. Who's another Spider-Man character who worked at the daily bugle. Oh, is that right? Okay, I yeah, didn't know. Yeah, in the, the Silver Age, she was like a co-worker of Peter's who he was friendly with, I think. Okay. Um, so it's like, I think it's cool that they're kind of pulling together a lot of these disparate parts and and giving us a, a Spider-Man that feels familiar, but also fresh in a way. So that's great. Um, I, you know, again, I, re I really like Tom Holland. I think like what we've seen of him as Spider-Man from this trailer is really good. The quips hit. Um, the jokes are funny and I think he seems to be striking a good balance of that kind of like awkward, quiet nerd with the, the bravado that he gets when he puts on the Spider-Man costume. And I, I think those things are really important and they're nailing those notes. Now, um, just refresh my memory. You said uh, this is not on the podcast, so this would be relevant for this episode. But like you and I had talked about this uh, outside of the podcast. You liked Andrew Garfield's spider-man but not his peter parker yeah um and i don't think he was great as either of them but i thought like him as spider-man worked for me a lot more than him as peter parker i think what i don't like about his portrayal of peter parker is like even in ultimates like peter parker's not cool he's not like yeah. this suave hipster kid who wears hoodies and skateboards and it's like that's not peter parker peter parker is none of those things and he shouldn't be those things like he doesn't have to be like the gawky dork with glasses who gets like he beat up or whatever. Deco run. Yeah, right. He doesn't have to be that, but he has to be not confident. He has to be somewhat reserved. And even if he's not like a loser, he can't be like cool yeah. in any way, you know? And like, they really tried to play up him being this like 
you know, punk rock skateboard kind of outsider nerd guy or whatever. And it's like, I don't think that is, that's not that, that character at all for me. It was very, yeah. Like the Andrew, especially in the first one, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man was like, like that, the beginning of that film shouldn't have been an origin story. Like he should have, the way he acted, he already acted like he was Spider-Man. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like. I guess it's like tonal. Like as a from a story perspective, I didn't like him. Like as a person, I was like, this guy's a dick. And like yeah, when he gets that, these powers, it's like, oh, now he's a dick with powers. Right, and I, I really, I think that's the problem. Like it didn't work, and I think uh, what, what I mean, what very little we've seen of of Tom Holland's Peter, it feels like Peter. You know, like he's a dork who rebuilds Commodore sixty fours on the weekend and plays video games and builds a Lego Death Star with his you know fat friend Fun and dog. like yeah and like you know drools over the pretty girl in the lunchroom that he doesn't have the courage to talk to. Like those are Peter Parker. That was a very things. endearing scene. Yeah, and like those are those are the things I need to feel. And I think like him being like so excited to go and do things with the Avengers and him wanting to prove himself to Tony Stark, like those are things that I that Peter Parker would feel and I believe at, with Tom Holland and I didn't ever ever get that sense of him with uh with Andrew Garfield at all. My my big problem with the trailer and it's probably going to be with the movie too um is like the really pervasiveness of Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark in this movie. Cause I'm just like, man, I, I'm like sick of him. I'm so sick of him. I don't, I don't think he's going to be a major force in the movie. You I don't think, think so? No, I think he's going to be a deus ex machina. I really do. I think we're going to get a, a scene in the beginning with him where we have some kind of like montage or something where they're talking about all the new Spider-Man gear and what he should be trying to do as Spider-Man, you know, and then he'll show up again later in the movie for that scene that we saw where he's like, don't go fight the vulture. There are people that take care of that. You just do your thing. And then he has to go and prove himself or whatever. I don't, I don't think he's going to be a major force in the movie. I think, I think he'll play the Nick Fury role more than yeah. he's going to play I think an Iron Man role. Yeah. I think maybe he gets 10, 15 minutes of screen time. What do you think, Sean? Uh, I, first of all, I really love the trailer. I think that it hit on every single note that I needed to see to know that this movie is up my alley as a Spider-Man fan. Um, I, I, I mean, Pete pretty much spoke for me right there. I agreed with every single thing you said. Um, I have been dying to see Spider-Man in the MCU. So far, they have absolutely nailed his inclusion. Civil War was it, very it, fun. It was a lot of fun. I think we needed a character who could be that fun, who could, who could, you know, bring that youthfulness to the uh, MCU. All these characters are older. They've been through horrible trauma already. He's fresh. He's a, he's a fresh kid. For his sure. Uncle, his uncle died and that's sad, but he's not, he's not, um, you know, like dead inside over it. He's still happy. He's still excited about life. He's in high school. He likes girls. He's good in, you know, he, it's, it's, it's nice. It's, it's refreshing. I think he's representative of that like air of optimism that we've been talking about that yeah. like, per, like does is pervasive in the MCU, but like all these other characters have very recent serious C things. Going Civil on. War characterizes their kind of like, Oh man, everything's heavy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think like him being away from that, as a person and then also for us as a film is going to be really good. And, and I think that's, I, I sort of think that's why he stole the show so hard in uh, civil war is because he, he showed up as a fresh new face. Uh, he was pumped to even be uh, on the same screen as captain America. 
let alone uh, fighting Captain America and learning he has something in common with Captain America. I, th- I didn't think he stole the show. I thought he had like a nice little cameo. For me, like with the whole Avengers thing, I, I really liked Paul Rudd's involvement in that scene. But for me, the Civil War movie, the the, the real what made it really good in my in my eyes was the interaction with uh, with uh, uh, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, like the dynamic. Oh, of course. Because we, that was of course. you talk about earned. That was an earned dynamic there and like it felt it's been building lady. up from for yeah. four movies now. it felt real you know? lady yeah maybe stole the show isn't isn't it, but it's it's sort of the thing that like because originally i was not excited about civil war oh, okay um it because i i i thought i was gonna put it on the same shelf as uh batman versus superman uh, um, i was not interested at all i'm tired of seeing superheroes fight i i would rather watch them uh, you know, have uh, I would rather watch an Adam West Batman, frankly. Uh, <laughs> you like can I'm, now I'm, with that new thing. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of it. Uh, but then Spider Man showed up, and he, I mean, he was just pumped to be there. He was pumped, and frankly, I was pumped to have him. I think it's also just like it's hard to not get excited about Spider Man. Like he's a character that like encourages that level of enthusiasm. <laughs> it's so easy know? for Pete to say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I love Spider Man, but it's like I'm not the only person that fucking loves Spider Man. I know. I'm you just know? Saying, like, like, I think yeah. it's easy to get excited for Spider Man. Says Pete, is, the Spider Man fan. <laughs> I, but you know what? I think it's I think it's the same thing with like a character like Superman, where it's like if he's done well, it's easy to get excited about him because he has a big personality and it's like a a character that like embodies like, you know, ideals that you, that you associate with heroes, you know, in a really pure way. I'm on a little bit of a different page. I'm not, I wasn't really excited by the trailer. I'm a little, I'm a little burned out on Spider-Man, I guess. Cause of, I, I get that. I really do. This is um, from a movie perspective. Cause like you were like, Oh, uncle Ben's dead. I'm like, is he dead? Oh, I guess he is dead. Um, that historically is like the inciting incident for Spider-Man to become a responsible hero. Um, how do you think that's going to be handled without the origin story? I don't, I don't think, I mean, hopefully we don't even really talk about it. Like, I think maybe, maybe a dialogue between him and Aunt May or something, but this movie is doing what I really wanted the, uh, the amazing Spider-Man to do, which is like, if, if you're alive right now, like you, you have, you know, Spider-Man's origin story. It's like you either saw the original Sam Raimi movies or you saw it rehashed again in Amazing Spider-Man or you're familiar with the character because he's one of the three most iconic fucking superheroes of all time. It's like if you don't know the spider bite, Uncle Ben gets shot deal of it. There have been there have been five Spider-Man movies in the past 15 years. I think we can like, yeah, we and I think uh, if I'm not po- if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm wrong, I'm only slightly wrong. Every single one of them have, to have shown some hint of Uncle Ben dying. But Martin Sheen's uh, uh, very contrived way of saying with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> so bad. Yeah. That, no. So, yeah, I, I personally think that's a good thing. I think not wasting time on an origin story is, is a really good good use of the character, especially because like we've already seen him get called in by the Avengers. Like that means he's already he's been Spider Man for a while, you well, know. And like that is one cool. I think that's one thing that's really good about the Spider Man origin story is that like oh he's an irresponsible hero that learns responsibility. Like it's something that is really relatable. It's something that was endearing about this first Sam Raimi film. I think absolutely. And I think a I think something that's really interesting is like you know uh, to take it back to something that Sean said before. I've definitely been with you where I was I really, really anxious to see Spider-Man join the MCU, and it was something I never really thought was going to happen. And then when it did happen, I was so excited about it. 
Um, but like looking back on it, I'm actually really glad that they didn't have access to him earlier because his introduction now is actually far more similar to his real life introduction in the comics where like he came in in a world where like the Avengers already existed and there was well, already Fantastic Four. Yeah. But like there was already a canon of established heroes in the Marvel universe when Spider-Man came around. So like him being the young kid who does look up to like Captain America is something that's always kind of been there for him. And I think like getting to see that on the big screen, like, and have it feel earned and make sense even for us as viewers is really cool. So Sean, what was your question? My my question was, if you are tired of Spider-Man on film, what would you prefer to see regarding Spider-Man? If we were going to do, I don't have a problem with him being in film. And I, I, I imagine with the Marvel track record that the, the homecoming movie will be good. Probably. Right. There's a good chance that it'll be very entertaining. And every time I'm like kind of apprehensive about a Marvel movie, I end up walking like, hey, that was enjoyable. So, you know, non-starter. But I think the character would benefit from maybe like uh, a Netflix series. But of course, that is probably unlikely just because they would lose a lot of money. They'll make a lot more money making a movie than a Netflix series. But I think it would be I think that I think it's a character that would benefit from that. Now, okay. I th- if if I'm picking up the cues right here, I think this is gonna kind of be where we we get into the main uh, segment. And I know I'm kind of stealing your thunder here, Sean. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here and say I agree about the Netflix thing. Uh, I think I think uh, Spider Man uh, would would do very well with a a, a CW teen angsty. Uh, romance kind of uh, uh, show that said I don't know anything about uh, how TV or Netflix deals work or how much things cost or how to do practical effects or what CGI is it's it's funny it's funny you say that because Smallville to me as a show kind of has that Spider-Man feel to it as like a, the teen drama angst thing and uh I'm not a Smallville fan, but like I think that that is something that probably would have worked with Spider-Man. I'm actually kind of surprised you're not a Smallville fan. And uh, no, it's not for me. Sean, did, I know you're a Superman guy too. Do you like Smallville? I think Smallville sucks. Yeah, uh, I'm on the same page. S- Smallville, the first couple of seasons of Smallville were cool, um, but as a sh- as a show, the totality of it, it's horrible. You you're talking about a character, and this is. This right here, what I'm about to say, is the main reason why I think the idea of a Spider-Man television show is asinine. You're talking about a character in Superman who can fly, right? When does he finally fly? I, I don't the last, last episode. episode. Yeah. Why? Because if they introduce flying sooner, then as a viewer, you're like, well, why doesn't he always fly? Why doesn't he fly in every episode? Well, isn't that and always a criticism ash- of wait, Superman? Wait, 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 wait. The actual answer to that is they don't have the budget to have him flying in every episode. So they circumvented that by saying, oh, he hasn't figured out how to fly yet. His cousin can fly, but he can't fly. Um, Zod can fly, but he can't fly. All these ridiculous ways of getting around the fact that they can't afford to have him flying every episode i don't think that's true in this context i think i think the first thing he said was true in the sense that why doesn't he do this every episode was probably the reason because there were other superman shows where he did fly all the time like lois and clark or the adventures of superman and they did have characters fly like like zod i I think it was more like a storytelling crooks thing in this context 
before we get too deep into this segment, I do want to preface this by we by the fact that we've already had this argument. Uh, we spent all afternoon yesterday uh, arguing about uh, whether or not Spider-Man could have a Netflix series don't, and whether it could be done. That. Don't tell listeners that because they're going to hate us. They're going to be like, oh, so, these fucking nerds. We are fucking nerds. <laughs> we get together every week to talk about comic books. <laughs> so poor Marco showed up after work. Oh, what he his, said? I didn't see uh, it. His message counter said 438 messages. <laughs> I think we actually uh, posted a screenshot of that on social media. So. Yeah, we Let's did. Let's be honest yeah. here. That was my so, fault because of the way I type. <laughs> it very well. It very much was. Um, so you can go fuck yourself because of that. Uh, okay. <laughs> but but here's the thing, right? So, please, Sean. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> okay. Right. Flash, right, is a show that has a character on it whose powers are amazing. He can run at, at the speed of light or faster than the speed of light, whatever it is. Speed force, all that jazz. That show looks like shit. Visually, it is not good. And I would not watch it because it doesn't look good. Because they don't have the budget to make it look good. They just can't. That's why shows like Arrow, Daredevil, and uh, Luke Cage work so well. Because they don't have characters on them who have these fantastic powers that you have to showcase every episode. They focus more on telling you know, good stories, uh, and using the, the limited power sets that these guys have or, or no powers at all. And they make it work for television. And I think to that point, the one actually super powered character that they have on that series is, uh, is, or in that series of shows is Jessica Jones and her powers are severely, um, neutered. To what yeah. they are in the comics, you know, she's capable of doing a lot more than we see her do. And even even with like the simple use of something like uh, her super strength, we only see it utilized a few times. And that's th- there's a reason for that. I wonder though, is there like I'm sure there are ways to sort of not get around that with Spider Man, but sort of play into that. You know, I, like, I don't I don't think there are. Uh, and I, well, I think and and I I don't I don't just mean I don't just mean in the fight scenes. I think like you know if we have. I mean, if we have scenes where, like, uh, Jordan Gibson just drew a really great uh, uh, picture uh, based on the movie where he and uh, or Spider-Man and, and Genki are, are playing video games and uh, Spider-Man is hanging upside down while he's playing. I think, like, to me, that would be a really creative and interesting way to sort of get around uh, the, the, the issue of not seeing spider-man's powers it wouldn't solve the problem but a lot of the like the the creepiness uh of spider-man is the unnatural way he he does things like we're used to it now but you know a man crawling on walls and hanging from a ceiling is a little weird and i think i think that's the issue is i think that pretty much every single thing that he does as spider-man would require special effects to be represented Right. Like the way that he fights, like it's not the same as like Luke Cage or Jessica Jones, where you can show them throw a punch and then show throw someone across a room to be like, oh, they're really strong. Like, I know he's really strong, but like it's more about the fact that like he leaps around during a fight, you know, and he 
can do a backflip or jump off a wall and then project himself off of it and that he's using his webs to like, you know, launch himself or something like that. Like there's all these very like highly electric and highly choreographed moves that some of which are not even possible for a human body to do. Like the way that he like, oh, his spider sense activated and he does like a matrix dive or something like that to, to, to miss a bullet. Like those are all physical things that you require effects, both practical and CG to do. In addition to things like web slinging, like every single episode or like, again, crawling walls or hanging upside down from a ceiling. Like those are all things you don't necessarily need CGI for, but they will cost money where you're like needing to get a rig to set up and have people to put him in the harness and all this shit. And it does all add up. And then I think that there are a lot of other problems, like the fact that you need to have a set for his house. You need to have a set for the Daily Bugle. You need to have a set for his high school. You need to have a ton of different sets for him to just go around New York and fight people and not be reusing places. And then you need to fill all those places with people. You know, it's like the Daily Bugle has like four or five named characters. There are however many kids he needs to actually know at school. Maybe he has one or two friends. There's a Flash Thompson. There's the love interest. And then you've got Aunt May. Like at this point, you have a cast of like 12 people, a bunch of different sets. And then that's not even counting villains. Like that's all stuff that's going to cost a lot of money. And looking at the Netflix shows or the CW shows, they don't use that much stuff. Like there is like you see like Daredevil. We go to his apartment once or twice. We've got the office. And then we've got a few different generic streets where he goes and fights generic bad guys. And then a hideout. And the bar. And the bar. There you go. That's true, too. No, there's like a decent there, – there's the courtroom. There's uh, Wilson Fisk's, um, like, his lair. Like, there's, there, there's a decent amount of settings. But a lot of those settings are places you don't – like, you only need one character with a name at the bar. It's the bartender. You know, and she shows up two or three times. Sorry, I was just going to say what Pete's saying is is these, these are places that you can just kind of pop in and out of for the most part. You know, in theory, Peter Parker has a job at the Daily Bugle. And he goes to high school and he lives at his house with Aunt May. And then you have, you know, all the characters that are within that realm who also live in these places. You have to spend time in, in these places. And that and that costs more money. I don't think that would be difficult. That part. I don't think it's a matter of difficult. I think it's a matter of money. It's that like you spend a lot of money on all of that stuff and then on top of it you have the fact that there is a lot of special effects that need to go into every single episode. I've seen Flash and this is a show that utilizes less money than a Netflix series and that there's a lot of settings there. I don't I don't think having a, a variety of sets is that that difficult from a production standpoint. That's something that's kind of built into the cost. I, I and I think you're right for the most part. I think it is a matter of like how how much time we spend in a lot of these settings and how lived in they need to feel. Because I think the fact that like you can't go anywhere in a Spider-Man show, even if we only use those three places I described, right? Or four if you count the streets of New York as a general thing. Like those are four major sets, and each of those needs to have at at minimum, excluding Aunt May at their home, needs to have at least three characters with names that are regulars that have that yeah. are developed. From a setting perspective, like I think this is the the most trivial of the things that were mentioned because I think this is the most manageable because this comes down to I think for the most part this comes down to writing. Because I think from a production standpoint, this is not a difficult thing. It comes down to how you write the show. And presumably, if it's a Netflix show, I don't think that would be an issue from this but perspective. That's also, that's also just the start. Yeah, right. I know. Well, that's, that's I'm saying my this is issue. the least of the issues, I think, would Listen, be the thing. If, if you had 
you couldn't even make a Spider-Man television show if he was in one room the whole time. Every If it was a seven-episode series and he was in one room the whole series, you still could not make a Spider-Man show okay. that looked good. There's a lot to, there's a lot to address is the thing. You guys all like just like took turns like snow, uh, piling on. And let's get to the point here is that everyone disagrees with Phil. Except I guess Kale is like kind of in the middle, but like... <laughs> I... I I think I disagree. I disagree with your 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 uh, contrarian uh, nature for this argument. Oh, like boy. it, like the way oh, the way boy. the way this the way this <laughs> argument played out yesterday was it uh, it it came it came down to you. It really felt like you were trying to persuade everyone on every single issue, but it didn't work. Because you were, you were, like, it just, it just, it, it didn't work. Um, let's, 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 so, so, like, I, I, (laughs) um, wait, let's let Phil establish his point. Yeah, because that hasn't even been established. Everyone's just like, I disagree with Phil. Hey, um, I didn't say that. I just voiced my concerns. Well, presumably in a Netflix show, we ideally have a season long. Uh, arc of a character and I, I i concede from a production standpoint that some characters would be difficult to do like electro like a, or shocker like a villain, like a, a villain you're saying even green goblin like anyone like that but i i think i think i think there are characters that you can use and it'd still be it would be good because ultimately it comes down to writing but we can get to that in a minute um the first thing i want to address is what something kale said which is um i i think when it comes to using effects as a crux you can easily corner yourself creatively and i think that the most prevalent case is star wars because in the original trilogy uh there's a limit in in what you can do uh with with visuals because there was no cgi and uh, that forced everyone involved with the project to deliver something that was still something visually pleasing um and it, they, they were able to be very creative with limited resources. Whereas when Lucas was able to run wild with CGI, it, it, there was no mystique. It was just a creative, and and it was just, it was just, it was a disaster. <laughs> it's soulless, yeah. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you know, in a context where there's a Spider-Man Netflix series, less could be more. In, in the sense that like you don't need to go crazy with effects necessarily which wouldn't be the case because you wouldn't have the budget for that but it's not something that necessarily would be a shortcoming and i think with having the people that run the netflix department of the shows you'd probably still have something that would turn out to be really excellent you know what i mean just from a story perspective yeah i see that's one thing i want to like make very clear is like um from a story perspective i completely agree with you i think spider-man as a character i think street level characters in general benefit from something episodic versus something like that's a blockbuster i think that's definitely true um but i do think maybe like maybe if they took a huge gamble on the first season and threw a ton of money at it so that it was able to get a bigger budget for the next season and, and continually grow. And then also be able to build upon the establishment of, well, we already have the sets built. Well, we already have the suit made. Well, we already have all these assets. I think the the big issue that I see is like the initial amount of startup cost to just build the world out in a way that's satisfying, I think really 
would neuter what they could deliver for a first season. Whereas if it was successful and they got a second round, I think then there's really no even question that it could probably work out. But it would need to be a really huge success and make the money. I don't think the setting would be too too cost restraining for the series necessarily. I don't because I mean a lot of these Netflix series well, are already filmed in New York. I- Again, that's I mean that's the beginning of the issue. Okay, wait, hold on, guys. We're we're limiting. Wait, I know, I know. We're limiting ourselves to talking about setting. Yeah, yeah, Expand I agree. Expand the conversation. Yeah, Phil, I, go ahead. I agree. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was the Flash series, which is like that's the most modern example of like a superhero show with effects, right? I guess Supergirl actually. Right? I Did guess I so. Yeah. CW has smaller budgets than the Netflix series, I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong about that, but I'm fairly sure. I mean, it makes sense, right? There's more episodes. Based on the caliber of actor that they get and stuff, too, even. I think, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and also, there's more episodes than the Netflix. Netflix does like 8 to 13 episodes, I think. And, and then the, the, the CW shows are like, yeah. which So they stretched their budget out for 20 episodes. Um, the thing is, people still watch those shows, even though they look cruddy. And the writing, in my opinion, this is a subjective thing, is not good. <laughs> Um, so I think even if Spider-Man, if they made a Spider-Man show that was like, say they hypothetically made a CW Spider-Man show, I think a lot of people would still watch, even if it looked really cruddy, just like, and even if the writing was bad, cause I think people just would want to see Spider-Man. So, so even like uh, people, I don't think collectively people care about the visual quality necessarily that much, just based off what the case of the flash. I think it matters when it. I think it matters when it gets in the way of your enjoyment of something. Because I, th- I think like I don't think visual aesthetic. I think it matters up to a point. Like to your point about like Star Wars or something like that. Like those movies look good enough, and the fact that it's so good, like you stick with it. And I, I think if a Netflix series was made with Spider Man, I think that would be the case. That's my. That's like my main thing. But like I'm not there yet. I'm still kind of building up to this. Um. Yeah, I'm just saying in a hypothetical where a CW-type Spider-Man show was made, I think people would still watch, regardless of the quality of anything, because it's Spider-Man. I mean, I think that's a different argument, but I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, I think that would be the case. I mean, Spider-Man's name brings cachet. Like, I think you put Spider-Man on anything, like, people give it a shot. Yeah, so... Yeah, that, I mean, that's, like, kind of part of the argument, because it's like, well, even, that doesn't matter. None of this matters in the sense, well, none of this matters anyway, because we have no control over it, but none of it matters. Like, in like this. yeah, we're all going to die anyway. Phil, get <laughs> like, to it. Phil, yeah, yeah, hit sorry, it, man. Come sorry. on. Yeah, all right. The next thing is talking about the nature of the Netflix shows, because it's something that Sean said yesterday. I'm just going to skirt over this, because, you know, we got to really get into it, is that why not make a show like War Machine, right? Um, why not make a show like The Century or something? And while it's true, I think, budgetarily there are definitely limitations in making shows like that and it'd probably be not feasible in the case of jessica jones where she has kind of been neutered in a power sense i think that's a creative choice because i think they've made a very deliberate attempt to ground the uh netflix series in a more nitty-gritty world and having jessica jones fly and stuff i think there's i think there would be a suspension of disbelief there'd be a problem with suspension of disbelief because i think people wouldn't be able to really it's, it kind of comes back to that Smallville thing of like, well, why doesn't Clark fly every episode? Because they're they're establishing a, a a tone with the series and um with the Netflix series, they are very conscientiously, deliberately saying like these are street level characters, and maybe that's partially by choice that out of budget, which is an argument you all made yesterday, and I concede to that. But Spider Man, I think, is like 
he's obviously like a meta human, but he's still like a street level character. And I think special effects wise, you can still make a show look good. Now, maybe you can't make him do everything that you'd want to see in a movie, but I think that's all aesthetic and superficial. I think you could still make a really satisfying Spider-Man movie or Netflix series, rather, pardon me, um, and still have plenty of the, you know, beats that work. You, like, maybe with the special effects budget, you focus on the web slinging stuff. But I think, like Kale said earlier, you could really still have him do Spider-Man things with outgoing, without, without going crazy um, in terms of practical effects, without it being too costly. I think you could still make it work. And my main thing yesterday was like, what if the first season was something Craven's last time? Craven's a character without powers, but the story is, it's one of the most famous Spider-Man stories. It's one of the best Spider-Man stories. And, you know, you can still tell this story without being too reliant on special effects. Cause I think Spider-Man as a character like Superman is something that could work without going crazy on effects because of the pathos of the character and how you relate to him. Um, and I think in the context of a Netflix series, that'd be really beneficial. I don't think it needs to be as spectacular visual. And it, it's not, it doesn't have to go to the extreme diametric opposite side of the argument of saying this is an ugly visual. Um, this is that it could, I think, I think it would, I think it would work. That's like the meat of the argument here. Okay. Okay. Wait. So I know there's a lot, I, there's a lot. I had to like address a lot of things here. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, the thing is, Spider-Man and Superman are not the same sure. because Superman still has he, – he still moves day-to-day like a human being, right? Like you could have a show like Smallville. It, it sucked, but you know whatever. It was on for 11 seasons or something like that. So someone was watching, right? A lot of so, people, yeah. Yeah. You could have a show where Superman walks around. Maybe he – shoots his eye beams every now and then he punches people you can still show his power set by doing a lot of a lot of tricky things right like he he punches someone and then they just go flying obviously that's a cut right like we all are aware now of how those things work so you could pull that off but with spider-man he doesn't he's not he, he doesn't move like a human like what pete was saying he he doesn't move like a human anytime he's in the costume He's doing things that humans simply can't do, and you can't fake that. You can't fake the way his body works. I, I you think, can't I don't fake. That's true. How do you fa- how do you fake that? Well, because I think of the Sam Raimi films, which weren't. I mean, th- there was a lot of practical effects in those movies, and but with the with the physical body of Spider Man, like that was a lot of it was choreography. But a lot of it was also CGI, like in his his fight with the Goblin. Where like he like the final fight with the goblin where they're in the warehouse and he shoots the blades and he dodges them and because of his spider sense and he like literally turns his body in the air and shit. It's like there's a lot of things. But there's not a lot of that in that movie. There's not a lot of that. Okay, fine. Phil, let's say you're right. What about Spider-Man 2? You can't do the fights he has with Doc Ock on television. But I'm not saying that he should fight Doc Ock. You know what I mean? But but, what, what is this show? Then what is the show? If you can't, if you can't use his core villains like you can with Daredevil, like you can with Cage, like you can with Iron Fist, then what is the point of the show? I don't care about a show where Spider-Man is just fighting random goons because we can't afford to show him fighting anyone. I no, care no, about. he's not fighting random goons. He's 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 you know we're talking about characters that 
you know, maybe not maybe the Rhino or something, but you could still do, you know, a meaningful Spider-Man story because ultimately Spider-Man's more about his interpersonal relationships with people like Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy, Aunt May. Um, and- You're right, though, but, like, to say that, like, that that's the core so the other things don't matter. No, I'm not saying it's... they don't matter. I just think it I think it could still be done in a really well and, and, and meaningful way. With characters like Craven or something. Yeah, but then what happens after Craven? Well we don't have to go forever. I don't think these Netflix series are gonna go forever. I imagine they're only gonna but you go gotta a couple get past seasons. one villain. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm trying to think of Spider Man's Rogues Gallery here. That's the thing is most of them most of them do have some kind of like larger than life aspect to them or something that is very visually focused. And I think one of the things I said yesterday that I'd like to touch on here is I I do think that is kind of a problem, like to take it back to what Sean said about Spider-Man or what I said about like the way that he moves and stuff like that. I think the visual language of Spider-Man is a lot more important to him as a character than some other superheroes. I think like Steve Ditko's design of Spider-Man and like the way that he looks, the way he moves, I think all of those things are really important to him as a character as well. And not Peter as a character, Spider-Man as a character, you know? And I, I think compromising that visual language is something that would happen. See, I, I can I can concede the thing on the villains, but I, I think with Spider-Man's body language, I think that's being overblown a little. I think that could be handled in a Netflix series. Like, I feel like that's... I don't think that would be a huge issue either. I, I agree with it that it can be handled. I don't think it can be portrayed faithfully. And that's more the issue that I'm I'm having is I don't think it's impossible to work around it, but I don't I think it's impossible to work around it without it being apparent to me as a Spider Man fan that it is being worked around. I, I guess it comes down to your value. I don't think it's something that would matter that much because really to, to Superman is that a lot of people are like forever superman doesn't fly the way he should fly this is something that bothers me and you get a movie like man of steel where he can just fucking go and it's all flash and no substance because ultimately i think it comes down to i guess in an ideal world you would have something that's both meaningful in content and like super visually aesthetically pleasing right that's the ideal world right yeah for anything um but I think if you have to compromise between the two, because an, an oftentimes a movie, it's very difficult to tell a um, a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour story and have it be super meaningful. It's hard. It's difficult, yeah. I mean, with anything. Um, where with like a Netflix series or a series in general, you have a luxury of spreading that out. Um, for me, between the two, I'd rather have a super meaningful story and cut back on the visual like i have a higher suspension of disbelief it doesn't have to be flash bad in terms of visuals but i I think with something like spider-man it could still be meaningful visually even if you have to you know make it less super faithful on the spider-man physical aesthetic all right well i think we've had a, a pretty full discussion on this uh topic uh obviously i want to see fans weigh in yeah yeah Absolutely. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would love to hear in the comments. I would love to. Um, can I just get the last word on this? Yeah, you were the most you were the most moderate of the four of us on this topic. Sure. Just and and this will just be real quick, real brief. Um, the Flash TV show is great. All three of you are fucking assholes, and uh, I'm gonna hyperspeed kick the crap out of you for trash talking the flash i i don't even listen I don't even topics want... closed we're done 
I don't even Move want on. to hear what you're doing. We're doing a little thing called plugs. You <laughs> let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up, boys. Definitely do weigh in. Let us know your thoughts about this uh, topic. Would you like to see a Netflix Spider-Man show? Do you think it could work? Or do you think Spider-Man and characters like him should stick to film? I think they should stick to film. And uh, I think they should series are good. So that's it for this episode of the Comics Pals. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. And if you did, be sure to like and comment on the video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We got a special treat next week. Hey, hey, hey. I'm being such a can dick. I, can, I, can, I, can I do my outro? <laughs> I just, I just want to do one bit of the show that I do not get interrupted. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's too late for that already, but let me just please. Get through. We, we can edit it if you want. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's funny. Um, <laughs> Uh, also check us out on iTunes and SoundCloud, um, at the Comics Pals, on Twitter at the Comics Pals, Instagram at the Comics Pals, and you can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. Definitely leave us feedback on the YouTube, leave us likes and, uh, star ratings on iTunes, and just let us know what you guys think. Please definitely don't, uh, you know, YouTube, who cares about YouTube now? Definitely rate and subscribe on, um, iTunes. So we can move up those charts. You guys uh, drive me crazy. Yeah, right? (laughs) You triggered, Kale. (laughs) No, I was going to say, I I liked how, like, Sean sounded like a 90-year-old man. He's like, you can follow us on the YouTubes. (laughs) (laughs) 9 to 70. All right, I I am cutting out before this turns into a shit on Sean fest. So let's let's get to the plugs. Pete, you start us off. (laughs) All right, cool. So, uh, as always, thank you guys for joining us here on episode seven of the Comics Pals. Um, if you guys want to see more of me, you can follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at loud underscore Pete, where I'm constantly talking about pop culture and sharing gifts. Uh, and if you want more content from me, you can go over to Sock and Slash on YouTube, which apparently no one cares about anymore, Kale. Uh, where, uh, it's my video game channel. Get yourself on iTunes, son. <laughs> yeah, it's my video game channel where we do a weekly podcast on Mondays, Let's Plays on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and generally uh, we try to get some scripted content out on Wednesdays. So if you guys are gamers and uh, you think I'm funny or something, please come and hang out with me. It'd be great. Make me feel better about myself. Kale? I'm going to plug my comics company, Panels Publishing. Uh, we're a small company that uh, focuses on uh, getting novice creators into the uh, comics industry you can find us on uh facebook at panels comics you can find us on twitter at panels comics with an x uh we're on comiXology and uh to that point uh my first uh my first book uh from the deep number one is on uh comiXology uh for 199 uh it's an eight page uh story about how uh a godzilla like worm creature destroys edinburgh scotland um it's a lot of fun i made it with uh letty wilson uh we're very pumped about it we're very proud of it uh and we uh hope it does well shout out to letty for creating our logo yeah she's a person that uh yeah we commissioned for our logo she's friend of the show. A, very, a, a very close friend a great show a great uh, great 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 friend of the show our show is great kelly you're right <laughs> um, also, just sorry to interject, but I just came up with a great idea. When, whenever the next show we have where Kale can't come, but everybody else can come, we should review his comic. <laughs> oh, I would love to. <laughs> I, I would love for you to. And Kale, what's the name of the comic again? Uh, it's called From the Deep. And where can we find it? 
comicsology and uh oh it's also on our our website uh you can find it on our selfie store on our website at panelspublishing.com uh you can also find me on twitter at toto into t-o-t-o-i-n-t-o-w cool phil if you want to uh, listen to me fumble up my opening joke and interrupt sean's outro listen to the comic pals on itunes not youtube apparently and <laughs> uh next week we are all going to be together in the same room when we record our episode which is notable we and are we're doing we're doing some really special stuff for you guys that weekend too so it's gonna be we have a lot of fun stuff in the wings for you yeah real exciting yeah and then uh you can always follow me on cyborg holiday at twitter and instagram uh look at my sweet cat on instagram or uh argue with me on comic book or movie stuff on twitter so, like the rest of the pals do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Marco, of course, he's uh, he's got the band voodoo or something. <laughs> the band voodoo or something. <laughs> All right. So with that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Can we call this episode Battle of the Pals? Ooh. <laughs> I think we can call this episode Sean Loses His Fucking Shit. <laughs> <laughs>